This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. Today we're talking with Kurt Geyer of the Working Class Bowhunter uh, on a topic that we don't cover too much on this podcast, which is private land hunting. So uh, we're talking with Kurt and a little bit of Steve um, about podcasting in general, um, the perceptions of public land versus private land hunting, private land versus public land hunters. Um, and we get into a little bit of tactics and gear as far as how to be successful on private land um, and maybe a little bit of mobile hunting for the private land hunter. Uh, real fun podcast to record and uh, they're great guys if you're not uh, following along with uh, the guys over there definitely definitely check them out uh, but again if you like what we're doing follow us along on instagram facebook the like and please 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 write a review give us some feedback and um you know tell a friend if you like what we're doing and uh you know if you get a chance check out our patreon account uh, we're going to start ramping that up here very, very soon. I know I've been saying that, but it's something that um, we are definitely working towards. So thanks again, everybody, for tuning in and enjoy the podcast. Shut up and sit down. All right, everybody, Adam and John back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast with a very special guest on the line tonight, Kurt Geyer from the Working Class Bowhunter with Steve milling around in the background. So uh, how you doing tonight, Kurt? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we we did a podcast Sunday in the dark with no power and uh, eight inches of snow on the ground, and that's all gone now, and like what a difference a day makes. So it's... Uh, oh, yeah. It's... Uh, <laughs> pretty good day um so i guess for anybody that doesn't know kind of they've been living under a rock in podcast land or maybe they're an older listener who 
only listens to the podcast because we told them about ours or something like that. Um, kind of give a little bit of background on your podcast and kind of what you guys are doing over there. Cause it's, I mean, you're almost setting the tone for the rest of the other outdoor podcasts from like a grassroots type thing that doesn't have, you know, you didn't start with, um, EXO behind you or, or, or something like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks man for that. For sure. Um, no working class bow hunter podcast. We've been doing it for just over four years. Uh, been chipping away. We're launching, I don't know when this will air, but we're launching episode 300 this week. Um, I feel like we are one of the first podcasts to bring that like true real raw hunting camp feel to the podcast industry and been kind of sticking to that and honing to basically just trying to stick to as true to ourselves as we can and having fun, but trying to get some business done, trying to educate where we can, but making it fun at the same time and really just kind of embody what hunting camp is. Um, and like people who've never heard of our show or like when we go to trade shows, we have our booth there. They're like, well, what's your show? I'm like, it's hunting camp radio. That's the best way to explain it. Like when you're giving your buddy shit and you guys are talking about strategy and learning from each other, that's our show. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. But you're not just doing a podcast now, right? I mean, it, you've kind of taken it one more step. Yeah. I mean, um, we're trying to branch in a lot of different directions. Like we do a video podcast series on carbon TV, um, man, all sorts of stuff. We have a lot of things coming, rolling in the future. Um, with just a bunch of projects we have. Um, I don't know which, what you were bringing up, but I'm sure <laughs> I'm just not thinking of it right now. Yeah. That's no, I was thinking. just saying, I, th I think as far as like the, the, from the podcast realm and especially from like the, again, like that grassroots, you know, hunting camp type feel, um, the fact that you guys have a video series on carbon TV and are able to, you know, transition, you know, that sitting in the studio and be able to bring in, you know, all of that other stuff, um, you know, when, yeah. when we talk about, yeah, we'll do a video on this or look in the show notes or something like that, you know, you, it, it's all right there for you to see kind of like blended in. So that's is kind of like a, yeah. a much bigger step into uh, moving the podcast scene forward, I guess. Yeah. For like doing the carbon TV series, like the, it's more of like a, it's more of a highly produced thing where we do like different cuts in while we're having the conversation. And that's a lot of fun. We're getting ready to launch our second season here coming soon on carbon. And uh, the reason why we do them limited there is because we just do super focused episodes for Carbon. Um, but we're, we are um, in future here in the next couple months. We're going to start rolling out a different video series where we're like, you'll see more video podcasts coming from us more frequently um, or maybe even more live streams. Um, we have a lot of stuff up our sleeve right now. We're just deciding where we want to whip it out at and, and get rocking with all this. Um, but we, we have a ton of stuff in, in store to kind of show us all bullshit in the studio and having fun and really what it's all about, man, just different hunters getting together and having good conversation and trying to include people as best we can, but mainly having a good time. Yeah. I mean, I think with all the podcasts that are out there and there's a million of them now, if you're not having fun and if it's too much like work, nobody would do it. Um, it yeah, it, no doubt. Cause it's just too much work, right? There would be no point. So where did your podcast stem from? What, what are, what are the origins? As far as like, how did we just get it going? Yeah, well, I mean, so I, I'm sure that it's just like everybody else, but I think four years ago, there wasn't, I mean, an, until maybe two years ago, I didn't even listen to any podcast or, or anything, and it just kind of got the ball rolling. But I mean, yeah. two years before that, I mean, was it you just, you listen to podcasts and you're like, there wasn't anything 
that uh, about hunting or, 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 or whatever. I mean, it just seems like now everybody has a podcast, but, but back then it was a, not a, not a thing. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, back then just over four years ago and fuck, it might've been four and a, almost five years ago now, like going back in time where I started really thinking about, um, starting a podcast. Um, I was on a kind of, uh, it was a small film project. I've always kind of like involved, been involved in the industry in one small way or another. But from when I was really 15, 16, I was interested in it all. And then I, I started listening to podcasts and not really so many hunting podcasts, but I looked up hunting podcasts and really all of them were the couple that were in existence were honestly just absolute just dog shit for lack of a better term. They just weren't, they didn't relate to me. So some people they might have, but I was like this gnarly young BMX kid and I like to hunt a certain way and nothing really grabbed my attention. It was this very dry, like, welcome to the show and blah, 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 like just monotone type of show. And no one's getting into that type of thing unless you're, you're 55 or older and you're just like wearing dad tannies everywhere or something. So <laughs> I basically was just like, well, there's nothing on here. And I kind of put up with it and whatever and. And doing that little small online hunting project, I, I was on Twitter, and I don't know even why I did it. I'm glad I made this tweet. It's probably one of the best t- tweets or anything I ever put out on social media now looking back. But I put out this thing like, I think I'm going to start a hunting podcast. That'd be fun. And I got my like my, my interest in podcasting from other podcasts. And Steve, which is now one of the co-hosts on Working Class Bowhunter, he was on a comedy podcast back in the day, which... If you think about it now, it was like even way before it's time. Well, maybe, maybe not in the podcast industry in general, um, but for hunting, it definitely was. So he was on a comedy podcast, and I didn't even know Steve at all then, but he followed me through this online hunting project I did. And he kind of saw I had like gauges in my ears and a couple tattoos. He's like, oh, you don't see hunters that look like that normally. And he reached out and he said, hey, man, I do this, uh, this comedy podcast in Davenport, which is just right across the river from me, Davenport, Iowa. Because if you want to come in and see what it's all about before you start yours, um, you know, come on in, be a guest, and check it out. So I went in, and they had this really cool studio, and Steve had just started hunting at the time, and I did the podcast and had a really good time, and Steve's like, hey, if you're interested in doing this hunting podcast, I'd be glad to, to host it with you. Like, let's dive in. And we kind of just dove in and didn't know what the hell we were doing and did our first 10 episodes and felt like idiots and just never looked back from there. That's really just like a quick summary of it. Well, I think that's perfect because I think for myself and John, you know, we started listening to podcasts and it was, I mean, I've heard you say it a million times, but you know, Rogan is the greatest, you know, and he's probably spawned more podcasts than anybody ever. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's the goat. He's the OG. And, you know, John and I would sit over here getting ready for hunting season or whatever, talking about bows and everything. It'd be two-hour conversations, and it would be conversations just talking about the things that we heard on other podcasts and things like that. And we kind of felt the same way, that there wasn't anything that kind of, like, represented us. And now this is two years into your your podcast. So you're so saying you're, our show sucks, so you started your own, huh? <laughs> well, I think, honestly, it's one of those things where, why do people resonate towards YouTube or something like that? Because when you see people sitting on the same field edge, the same, whatever. Well, I think at that point, you guys were so far down the line when you're talking to Waddell Dudley, you know, if I'm going to start a podcast, it's like, 
in in this garage right here. It's like I'm just gonna call up Michael Waddell and be like, "Hey, Michael, uh, you want to come on here and listen to you know speak to my family because there will be nobody else that that listens." And, uh, you know, when you guys are putting up pictures of, you know, all these 140s, 150s, you know, all of these things, it's real easy to garner that, well, they're in Iowa, they're in Illinois, that doesn't resonate with me. And at the same time, that was at the time when there wasn't that many podcasts. And we decided to wait six months and kind of like what we feel is to like do it right, you know, to make good yeah. good quality audio, not just, you know, record on our iPhone and put it out there and you know, whatever, try, try to actually produce something. And, uh, it just turns out that everybody and their fucking brother did the same thing at the same time. So there was this giant influx of all these like, well, fuck, there's no, uh, you know, podcast that speaks to me. So now we're going to have this whole, like all these little microcosms of, you know, we're speaking to this real minute yeah. group or, or, or whatever. Um, well, you know, it's funny you say that because so hunt, podcasts are doing is going podcast hunting podcasts are going through the same thing right now that hunting shows went through three years ago two two three years ago where all of a sudden everybody has a hunting show and then you realize who everybody that's about it stick, stuck around everybody who's not about it faded out podcasts are going through that same thing right now you'll see this whole big blast of podcasts will happen for two three years and then people are too busy and then they, it'll go away and fade out. So it's kind of the same, like just trendy in thing to do. People see certain people gain in popularity and they're like, well, I'm a badass hunter. I'm going to do the same thing. And then they have a podcast and then they get tired of it and it fails and it pff, hits the dirt. And then, so there'll be something else down the line in two, three years in the hunting industry that'll do the same thing. And the same people that have been around will be around and will always be around. It's just the way it is. There's just that certain, you only have so many people that have that mindset to really achieve what they want to achieve in a certain, in, in, in any industry, in my opinion. But, um, but it's all good. Like what you're saying, like if you would have started six months earlier, you would have been a little ahead of the, of the curve on all this, this big blast of podcasts that came out. And I think about that too, even looking at all the podcasts when I was, I went through a hunting season and Steve texted me every day, let's get this podcast going, dude, let's get this podcast going. It's November. And I'm like, no, dude, I'm hunting. I don't have time to go buy a fucking podcast here. Like, and you know, if I would have started it eight months before instead of putting it off, who knows what could be different now? But I'm not saying I would change it, but it's interesting to think about. Yeah, and I, I mean, I was like the exact same way. I was like, it was as we were getting ready for the season, we like sparked this idea. And then it's like one of those accountability pieces where you say, all right, well, first of the year, this is when we're going to do it. We'll get through hunting season. We'll have all this stuff to talk about. We'll kind of go through there. Well, it's like everybody and their fucking brother said, well, as soon as fucking hunting season's done, that's when we're busting out our iPhones and we're going to start recording some shit. So it's yeah. like, but that's neither here nor there because I've 100% seen that, you know, people that have the drive and these, you know, I've met so many great people. Um, that are just doers. That's the one thing that I really, I didn't expect to gain from this experience is like, if you surround yourself with people that are doing things and it like helps to like build you up and keep you motivated where there's so many people that say, well, you're going to do that and it's going to fucking suck. And it's going to, you know, it's like, I don't have time for that anymore. Yeah. Like I got shit to do, you know, well, that yep. holds you accountable too. I mean, we, now that we talk about stuff, it's like shit. Well, last year we kind of got caught up in it. We we're talking about, turkey hunting turkey hunting and then i didn't even buy my turkey tag last year it just came down to 
you know, the weather was shit at the beginning of the season and we picked the last season, which is the longest. And finally down, it came down to like the last two days. I'm like, ah, screw it. But after that, we're like, well, we talk about this shit. We need to, we need to freaking follow up and, you know, follow through on it. So. Yeah, and we we were yeah. so well adversed. Like we were one hundred percent like into our elk hunt. You know, we did our first western hunt, our you know first elk hunt DIY. You know, just went out and did it. And you know, we were so focused on that that you know everything else was kind of like secondary. And that came before you know deer season, so that was the main focus of basically the whole year last year. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I kind of did the same thing last year too. It's a, uh, it really d- channels your attention elsewhere <laughs> when you got a hunt like that plan. Yeah, and so, kind of going back to you know hearing your podcast and kind of like where you saying there wasn't anything for you, and then us hearing what what you guys were doing, and it, I mean, on some level, it was just kind of like intimidating, like all right, well, we can't be working class bow hunter because, you know, we don't have 150 class deer wandering around and that doesn't speak to us. Um, but I think the farther that I get down this road and I've heard you talk about it too, is like I'm ending up seeing that there's more like hunter infighting that. And I guess I always thought like, and I, I grew up having a piece of public or a private land to hunt and it was rifle hunting I mean, we bow hunted a little bit, but the focus was never, you know, killing big bucks. It was just killing deer. And we were in the highest populated area for does in, in the state of Michigan. And so it was just a given. So it wasn't like there wasn't a whole lot of real hunting. And I never got bit by that big buck bug. So there wasn't, mm-hmm. and, and, and there wasn't, there weren't, they weren't around. I mean, it, I mean, sure that they were somewhere but they weren't it wasn't part of my life i wasn't seeing guys bring home these big deer you know everywhere around me where it was like i need to to emulate that and so i always thought when you go out of state or iowa illinois you know that's just they're a dime a dozen they're so easy and the more people Mm -hmm. that i talk to like through the podcast and things like that i realize that maybe it's almost harder or that you have to have a little bit more focus or or whatever so i wanted to have that conversation with you as far as like your experiences hunting private land and your style of hunting and then you know your experiences on public land if you've had any and and kind of what your i don't know thoughts are on the industry the way that it's moving towards if you're not hunting out of a saddle paddling in in a kayak and vlogging it then are, did you even really hunt? <laughs> Doing a public <laughs> plan. <laughs> yeah, um, that is a, that is trendy right now, which is cool. You know, it's cool, like the grind of it. That's a good thing because people realize, like, it does take hard work to kill big deer. Um, and first, first I want to touch on, I, from my experience, the deeper you get into the industry, because I, I personally feel that I'm in the industry more than just my podcast. I feel like I'm in it on a business aspect as well and in other avenues. And what I'm learning very quickly is the deeper you want to get into this industry, the less you have time to hunt. And so, but in my mindset is I would take the trade off to be surrounded by hunting people and hunting things all year and get to hunt a little less during the season than to never be around it and get to hunt as much as I want for two months a year. So th- that's something to think about if you're wanting to get into the industry heavy. 
Um, but like touching on the trendy thing, like you just want to start like the the private versus public thing. Yeah, I mean, where wherever you want to want to start it. I mean, I'm just I'm just thinking. Like I said, my, like my first impression from your podcast was it was just like two. It was it wasn't anything that I could get behind in a sense of I always thought you know if you went to if I got a lease in Iowa or Illinois then you know there's a 150 inch deer around every corner and it would be super easy and all it takes is all it takes is money yeah 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 let's start there um it's definitely not the case it's easy to see that um just like I've hunted a public land in Colorado it's just easy to see when you watch some of these guys killing um, two eighty inch bulls and bigger, you know, Pope and Young and bigger bulls on public land. You know, it's um, they're not around every tree. You know, you're gonna have to put the grit down. And I knew that I knew that they weren't around every tree from just how it is whitetail hunting in Illinois. You know, I grew up in Illinois, um, nor like central, like northwest central Illinois, I guess. Um, and a lot of people that don't live in the Midwest might think like one fifties are everywhere. You know, and they're not. And I know a lot of people that have hunted for 30 years and have never killed a buck over 135. I could rattle off names right now like you wouldn't even believe. And I'm sure there's people that don't live in the Midwest that are like, really? And it's true on private land, too. It's just one of those things. It's how bad do you want it? How deep do you want to get into it? Um, And I know a lot of guys in this area that do kill big deer on public land public and private. Um, and I think it's mindset and knowledge are the two things. Um, I grew up hunting private ground in Illinois and I, I've killed some big deer and they definitely haven't came easy. I'll tell you that. And, and that's kind of my thing when people that hunt private land look down on people who hunt or who hunt public land, look down on people who hunt private land. Um, like it's like in the bag and, my, my response to those people is, well, apparently you haven't hunted long enough or you've never hunted private land to get how this whole thing actually works. Because if you know mature animals and how they move and their patterns and what happens here and there, you know that nothing's guaranteed. So even if you have a buck pattern, private or public, every night he's doing this, the one night you sit there, that buck might go to the other edge of the field, disappears, catches your wind, butts out of there, and you never see him again. That's just the reality of it. They're wild animals. They can do whatever they want. So when I hear that argument, well, you only kill good deer because you hunt private land in Illinois, but they don't know how many hours I sat. They don't know how all the homework I did, all the scouting, uh, all the, they don't know half of the shit that I did to get and put in work to get this done and be successful. Or sometimes you're not even successful. But when someone gives that argument to me, argument to me I see lack of experience personally. Um, and I just think that's because they just don't get how animals move. They don't get whitetail hunting in general, but there's a lot of people that hunt public land exclusively, which I think is badass. Like if you kill a big buck on public land, that's badass. Like that's cool. Like it, it, it adds that touch of coolness to it over a private land buck. I get that. Um, but people who are doing that understand how things are in hunting public or private. Yeah, I mean, my experience, like growing up, like I say, was, you know, we had 240 acre cedar swamps surrounded by public for the most part. And we hunted the same spots, the same times, every single time. 
And so hunting wasn't hunting as much as it was just sitting. And there was yeah. a lot of the, the deer camp experience, you know, that was, you know, that's still why a lot of guys still go up there and, you know, that's, that's, yeah, that's the Americana of deer hunting. Yeah. That's right. the traditional deer camp, you know, mentality go up, sit in the same blinds every year, you know, and then, mm. and then like you guys didn't, you guys had like rules or whatever, like, oh, you can't even go over there, you know. Yeah, you like it just, it just, <laughs> yeah. just, just crazy stuff. But I think 100% it's the lack of knowledge. Because like I say, like now, the the further that I look into it and, you know, the more people that we talk to um, that are actually doing it even on small pieces. And, and again, I also think like everybody's got land, I, I mean – not now, obviously, but I think at that time, and I think a lot of the misconception is, is everybody has land like Lee and Tiffany or the Drury's, you know, everybody's got these giant pieces of managed, you know, property that they hunt where it might just be a 40 or an 80 or 60 over here. Um, and I think on some level that would probably make it that much harder because that deer only has to go across to your neighbor's uh, property and you've got no control over that, you know? Yeah, well, it just adds a different uh, – skills are applied differently to what property you're hunting, you know? So um, I made this – I've talked about this on several podcasts. You know, if I have a 40-acre lease and that's all I can afford and, you know, whoever, Joe Schmo hunts an 800-acre piece of private – when he goes in and bumps a deer, he has more opportunity to chase that deer around and kill that deer. Well, that doesn't work on a 40-acre piece of private because you go in and jump that deer, he's off your piece, and you can't hunt him anymore. He's the neighbor's, <laughs> he's in the neighbor's hunting realm now. So I think people forget that when they talk shit about, like, well, the public versus private, like, if you hunt private, that's in the bag. Well, hold on, dude, because it's just different. Is a different type of skill set. You know, you might look at idolize this person that hunts this public ground exclusively and they have this set of skills and they might chase this deer all around. Like, look, for example, and I love the dudes from Whitetail Adrenaline, how they hunt deer does not work on private ground. You get an 80 acre piece of private, 100 acre piece of private, and hunt them like the dudes of Whitetail Adrenaline hunt, you will not kill a deer. You might get lucky, but consistently, you're just pushing deer off your property for the neighbors to hunt. It's a different set of skills. So it, it all depends. It's all perspective. How do you want to look at it? If I went on my lease, which is a very humble, not a great piece of property of 80 acres. If I go in like an idiot and jump deer, I'm not seeing much to hunt, not even does. I have to be very strategic when I go in on my entry and exit. What's my wind doing? I have to be very, very strategic. If I bump a deer, especially a mature buck, it could be game over for me, you know, versus if I go on a thousand acre piece of public or I could go in from one way, jump deer. Cause that, I think everybody else is jumping them. I'll walk in like an asshole too, jump them, jump them, jump them. Well, then I'll come in from the other way like an asshole. Cause everyone else is doing it. Jump them, jump them, jump them. And then you have your guys that get how things work and they slip in a certain way, hang and bang. And they're killing big deer. They get how it works. It's, it's, it's all perspective really. And how you want to apply it in what you're trying to get done. So I don't think there's room for anybody to talk shit on anybody in any situation with this. Um, and it, it annoys me. I think as you can probably tell by my tone, 
this back and forth thing between public and private guys. Um, it just depends. You know, guys that are hardcore in their public area know how to hunt those areas. The same thing with private land guys. Right. Especially, Everybody's got a different skill set. Right. Especially like you're talking, you know, your lease or whatever, the 80 acres. There's probably days where you, you don't even hunt because the conditions aren't right because you can't get in. You're going to, you know, you're going in on a, on a bad day. You're going to bump the deer and then you're done. So, exactly. you know, guys that are hunting public, like you're saying, well, shit, I'll go in if I bump some deer. Oh, well, you know, I'm some guy coming in the other way might bump, bump some back to me or something, you know, I mean, or if you screw up that yeah. spot, you drive around, you know, five miles around the corner and, and sit a different tree, but yep. you can't, you can't do that on a small piece of private. So, yeah, you know, it's just different. And, and there's a lot of guys, uh, especially like new hunters. There's a lot of new hunters that don't have the opportunity to hunt private and they they're forced to hunt public, which I think will advance your skills as a hunter uh, quicker maybe because um, it makes you you have to be more conscious about what moves you make but i also think it has a tendency to make people really sloppy in the moves they make because there's that always that mindset of well the neighbor's doing this uh, you know it, it'd be like the example would be the private land guy the neighbor's doing this and he's shooting this so i might as well shoot this well if the public land guy thinks well this guy's walking through there like this it, it just it's a never-ending circle you're chasing your tail right with the 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 kind of way that you hunt and the the size of property that you're hunting, what kind of techniques are you using, or what you know when you say that it's a different set of skills, you know that sort of thing, you know because we've got, uh, I think Michigan here we've got a lot of public land. I mean that there's no shortage of that, but I think for the most part the guys that are hunting private portions are real small acre, you know ten fifteen, mm-hmm. uh, you know eighty would be a good a good chunk you know the property that we have is just you know it's because it's in the middle of nowhere in the upper peninsula is why it's such a big chunk of land and and you know we've said it on here before but it's easier for me to get to you know giant country in ohio it's a shorter drive to get you know to ohio and 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 chase real big bucks than it is to go to my piece of private land you know up in the up so it's a there's a real trade-off between the whole you know, am I going to hunt monsters or am I going to have an experience of a, of a deer camp? But, you know, there's a lot of our listeners that are hunting these smaller pieces of property that are maybe not as successful as they'd like to be. And they're starting to, you know, kind of hear kind of what all the guys are doing around the podcasting and social media and stuff like that. And they're trying to venture off onto, onto public, you know, what are some things that you've done on your the smaller uh, private pieces to be successful or to kind of kind of ensure your success as best you can. Yeah, man. Um, I'll be honest. I've talked about this a ton. And so it's going to sound super cliche and it's always like that. I feel like this answer is just thrown out there a lot, but what it boils down to, if you have a very small piece to hunt is constantly think about what kind of pressure you're putting on that area. And this is just my experience. This might not be, the go-to and there's some people that might have a completely different experience than me, but in my experience, I try to minimize pressure as best as possible. So come August timeframe, I'm not willing really walking around the middle of the woods and fucking with bucks that are in velvet and walking through the center of that property just cause I got nothing else to do. And I want to post pictures on Instagram, like summer scouting. I don't do that shit. I'm in the woods very minimal at that point of year. And and then when it comes to hunting, 
Wind is my friend. Entry, exit, and wind. I'm always on that shit. If if you have 40 acres and the wind's bad and you hunt just so you can hunt and post a picture, grinding, out here grinding, and the wind's blowing where the deer are at, you're just fucking shit up. That's all you're doing. You're not doing any good. It's almost to the point where, like, less is more when you have a small piece. Um, and that's what I grew up hunting. I've learned over the years, you know, it's it, deer are fringe animals in general. So if you can hunt fringes of your property and, and you can take advantage of that and, and kind of keep out of the center of it and not not be out there unless you have to type of thing, I think that's going to go a lot further for you than you might realize um, in, in time especially. You know, it sucks because you want to be out there, but I think if you just minimize your pressure, hunt the fringes, and, and then, but not always hunt the fringes. Make your moves when you got to make your moves when the time's right. You know, don't be afraid to get aggressive. Um but it's all just kind of feathering that throttle when, when to really push it to the floor and get in there and get aggressive. It's, it's a weird, it's a weird, uh, equation that you gotta have to, you have to master. Um, and I don't have it mastered. That's for sure. <laughs> and so that being said, how do you, how are you with that minimal impact outside of time, you know, years on the property, etc. how are you locating, you know, hot sign, the best, areas and things like that are you just saying okay this looks good i mean a public land guy walking onto a piece of property where he's never been before maybe it's another state is studying the maps and figuring this out and you're dropping a pin on your onyx you're walking in there and saying okay and then you're observing you know maybe once in april march and then when you get there when you have access to this all year round, how are you locating like the best places without going in there and dicking it all up? A lot of it is, and this is one of those answers you hear all the time is I study map. Like I study Onyx and hunt stand like a motherfucker. Even if I know the ground, I'm already studying, looking for some hidden gem. Um, but really a lot of it is like during season, like in season scouting can help. If you're going to hunt fringes like early season, once it gets like late October, you know, even mid-October, depends on where you're hunting, that's when you can kind of see what's happening. And then if you get to dive in and push throttle to the floor, do it. Um, the obvious buck sign, um, you should know where deer are feeding, where deer are bedding. If you don't know, it's it's easy to set up an observation stand, play the fringe game, and then throttle in from there. Um, really, it's just kind of, I feel like it's like pretty basic, obvious stuff, but maybe it's not. But it's really just kind of feathering and observe what you have. like. And then some of it even, too, is guess and check. If you don't know, hunt it. Throw a stand up. See what's going on. You're not going to know until you see it firsthand or learn or see sign firsthand. Um, sometimes you just have to get in there and take a risk. You know, it's nothing's definite. So, like, everything, in my opinion, like, if I'm saying, oh, stay, stay away from the fringe, you know, be on the fringes, stay away from the center, that's not always the case. Sometimes you got to throttle down and get in there and put an arrow in something. <laughs> And so what has your experience been on, on public land or how much public land uh, hunting have you done? For whitetails, very minimal. I, uh, where I live, there's, I have public land north of me about an hour and south of me about an hour. Um, I've scouted the, I scouted the public piece last year a little bit, um, and it looked good. My buddy hunts private just outside of the public, and I know it's a, a decent spot, but I honestly, I haven't even haven't even hunted it yet. I have it there, and it, it's not far from one of my leases. So if I got to dive in, I'll dive in. But um, for whitetail, it's very minimal. I hunted elk public land last year. 
and this coming year I'll be hunting antelope and mule deer in public. Okay, so how did your your elk hunt turn out? I mean, was that your first elk hunt, and and how did that go? Yeah, I went to Colorado um, over the counter and hunted for I think I hunted mid September. Um, we went uh, just an over the counter unit in Colorado, so it wasn't like a draw unit or anything like that. It was awesome, man, but did, didn't get an elk. But th- that goes back to the point: like I knew if I'm going to get a 280 plus bull, it's going to take some work. Um, but yeah, it was a good time, man. It was a great learning experience. So did you, uh, like with your elk hunt, did you backpack in? Did you have a base camp? How did? Yeah, both. Yeah. We had a, we had a base camp. We did, we backpacked in and did the whole, whole mountain house and try not to get the shits game. So, <laughs> so, so did you end up having to buy all new gear also? Like, um, there were, yeah, not all new gear. Like there was stuff that I didn't have that I like should, you know, needed like a, a good pack and, you know, a bunch of mountain house and, you know, the shit that you would need that you wouldn't normally need when you're white hunting, like overnight type stuff, lightweight stuff, tent, a tent. We didn't have a tent. I didn't have a good sleeping bag, you know, stuff like that. Good boots. How about that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had to buy a new pair. Well, I didn't yeah, I did actually. I did have to buy. I bought Krispies. Um, when I hunt whitetails, I'm normally I'm a rubber boot guy, like a knee high rubber boot. But I wore the uh, I wore my Krispies this year whitetail hunting and, and absolutely loved them. How'd you like them out west? Oh, they're great. My only complaint, I wish I would have got a little taller boot. <laughs> right. Which which uh, did you get the Thors? Yeah, I had the Thors. I wish I would have got the Idaho's. Yeah, I I bought the the uh, Thors as well, and. They were great when we were training all summer, like around here in Michigan. I mean, you know, we have dunes and stuff, but we got out there and they definitely didn't have the ankle support that I needed. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I felt like a baby giraffe coming down the mountain in the dark. And my dad's got the Idaho's. He's like, your ankles are that bad? I'm like, yeah, motherfucker, I got no ankle support. Dude, I'm fucking tripping over myself. <laughs> oh, man, I twisted my every night coming back to camp was just a miserable trek, man. I mean. My, my frick, it, isn't it thing. funny? <laughs> Adam's up there I, and he had some, <laughs> the 10 inch, you know, hide leathers and he's just freaking, I'm like, I'll just, don't wait for me. I'll just see you when we get, when I get back. <laughs> yeah. That's what happened. I was with some boys, uh, some of my friends from South Dakota and, and even my dad had the Idaho's and they're ahead of me. I'm like, man, I've never felt like I had weak bitch ankles before, but right now I do, man. It was tough. <laughs> it was only like the end of the day. Like I, I was pretty solid most of the day, but. We did a couple the hikes where we went in after an elk and had to. We ended up having to come back down to where we set up camp down this like mountain. And I was just like getting ready to roll over myself down this fucking hill. <laughs> I was, I, I'm not kidding. I felt like a newborn giraffe there for a minute. Yeah, me too. I, you know, I grew up playing hockey. So, I mean, but it's, oh, been, yeah. it's been 10 years since I played. And I was like, when we're walking down, it felt like. Uh, you know, a three-year-old on skates for the first time, just, you know, <laughs> wearing figure skates with no support. <laughs> it's like, Isn't it funny, man? It's oh. such a wake-up call. Yeah, and then when we went down to ATA, I went to the Crispy booth, and I was like, all right, I bought your Crispy Thors, and, you know, tell me about them. He's like, you know, where are you from? I'm like, Michigan. He's like, how'd that work out for you? I'm like, not very well. He's like, yeah. He's like, they're great boots for the guys that live out west and do it every day. He's like, but you're probably rolling your ankles. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. He's like, well, 
I got a boot for you. <laughs> they came out with a new one that's it's it looks just like the Thor, but it's it's got all kinds of ankle support. You know, I mean, was it the Colorado? Um, it might. I can't. Remember. I don't know. It was whatever the new one that they rolled out this year. I think it ATM. was the Colorado. Maybe I'm wrong. It was like it looked just like the Thor, but it was like black with a gray trim. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna see if I can pull it up here. And it was definitely. I'm like, well, I think I'll be. Ordering Dude, they're nice boots, man. I'll definitely buy another pair. Oh, I still. I mean, mine are sitting right here on the on the step in the in the garage here. And I mean, I wear them every day, walking the dogs, and I wore them, you know, a little bit during whitetail season. But I I wear the same. I knee high rubber boot for most of the spots that we're hunting. Every, everywhere I go this year was water over my boots. Like, I've, I mean, this was the first year that we really transit. Like, so we were always hunted from a climber. And so we switched over to the stand and sticks, um, basically to uh, solidify the fact that we are going to change up the way that we are hunting, like our hunting style. Like we weren't just going to sh- search for that straight tree, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, what ended up happening was everywhere I went, that was a place that I had looked on Onyx was over my boots or up to my nuts in water. <laughs> and like I, was, I went over hip boots. I was just like, I was like, okay, well, I guess this is what it's all about. Now I'm a real hunter. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, what, that's what social media says. But yeah, but I did, I, I hunted less and had the most successful um, season that I've had in Michigan for sure. And, uh, you know, it, it, there was just something to be said. It was like, I, I felt like I got lucky, you know, in, in some degree. And, you know, people say, well, you know, you put in a lot of work you know, you know, luck usually favors the, the hard worker, you know? So you worked really hard for that luck. But at the same time, it was like, I, I'd go into a spot and they, I wouldn't see the sign that I wanted. And I'd just walk right out and go scout somewhere else just, you know, cause I wasn't going to waste my time and it just, I don't know, it, it paid off, but it was that, that stand and sticks on my back where I think if I would have had a, a climber, I would have just got up a tree cause it would have been a lot easier. Um, but I guess yeah. that, that was one of the things I wanted to ask you being on public or uh, on, on private land. Like what are the, your stand setups? Are you going in and setting up stands? I was seeing you've been doing a lot of stuff with, uh, lone wolf custom gear type stuff where that's not typically uh set it and forget it type stand yeah yeah man um i've always my dad and i have always had that style oh, fuck we bought a lone wolf setup back when i was a youngster like 15 ish and that's always kind of been our style like that hang and hunt style and not be a, not be scared to move around and guess and check and try different areas if you have to um and yeah, I mean, honestly, we do have our sets that we leave up, you know, those big like terrain feature, like pinch points or just areas, you know, deer move in and out of that are going to be like that good go-to spot like that or that light pressure spot. Um, like for example, I set a, a ladder stand up, um, like a bow hunting ladder stand set up for my wife on our lease. That was, you know, you walk down a mowed trail and you can just dive into the woods and it's super it's, it's five yards inside the timber and it's super low pressure and she can just get out there. You know, I have those setups and then there's uh like last year I kept a lone wolf in my truck at all times. I might make the call like, Oh, I sat in this one stand that I would consider an observation stand. And I saw a buck move out and do 
do something over there that I was like, well, maybe I can get in on them the next day. And I would go and, and throw a stand up and hunt that. Um, so that's like what that one wolf custom gear stand will be like. That'll be the stand that stays in your truck. So if you're sitting on an observation stand, even if it's public or private, and you see a buck do something, you're like, man, I bet you he's going to do that again. You grab that thing and you throw it up and you go in. Maybe you come out with it and make a different move from what you saw that night, or you keep it there and go back in the next morning or whatever. Um, so I do a little bit of both, man. You can't you can't count anything out, and then there's always a stand in my truck. Always. Well, I think that that's where I, I would say, at least in my experience around here, like there is no, or there is very little mobile hunting on private land guy. I mean, it's always the guy that just wants to walk out to his ladder stand and climb up there. And I, you, you see that on public land a lot. And that's, you know, really, I mean, there's probably just on the piece of property that we hunt, there's probably still 150 stands out there. I mean, you can't walk into the woods without finding stands, but I'd say that that's not the, the, the common way on, on private land would be to like bounce around. And I think it makes sense for setting up your observation stand and, you know, sitting somewhere and then making the move with it. So I guess I didn't even really um, consider that, but you say, um, you know, you've had that lone wolf set up, uh, since you were a kid now back then it was still almost as expensive as it is today for the regular lone wolf stuff so w- what do you say to these guys that are saying well five hundred dollars for a tree stand like holy shit like in the sticks and all this stuff it's like i mean i he was at the show here in michigan and we got to see it right at ata there and it's it's a fucking masterpiece. I don't know. I mean, that's the way that, I, but it's hard to kind of put that into words, you know, for someone who doesn't, uh, under, you know, you, you'll never have to buy another stand. I mean, that's kind of like the way that I look at it. Yeah. Well, you get your guys buying thousand dollar bows every year and, and trading them out just to trade them out. And it's how bad do you want it, man? I mean, your equipment allows you to do different things. So if I buy a piece of shit stand from, menards or walmart or whatever you have in your area and that's the stand you keep on your back you're very limited in weight and things that it's capable of doing um especially if there's certain trees you can't make that stand work in like a hard lean or whatever it may be you know it's worth investing in my opinion there's just a few things worth dumping hard money into honestly you can wear any camo you want when you're hunting you can wear any clothing you want you can wear just earth tones and go out there and kill deer but if I'm going to dump money into two things, it's good archery equipment and a good stand setup to allow me to move and do what I want to do. If I can't hunt where I want to hunt, what the fuck am I even doing? Yeah, I'm not a detractor. I just wanted to hear kind of like your opinion on, you know, even from like, it's just interesting to me from a, a, a private land guy for like a super high end mobile setup. It's like, well, I mean, you hear guys all the time. Well, I used to kill them off of a two by four. You know, I don't need that. You know, what the fuck it's ever. Like, well, but cool, then kill them off two by fours. Then that's <laughs> awesome, dude. Because I'm gonna have a nice stand. I'm gonna move where I want, and I'm gonna be comfortable while I do it. Yeah, and it's you know? just it's it's frustrating. And if you look across anything, it's like you know uh, the saddles are super nice. They're three hundred bucks. You know, and there's not a whole lot to them. You know, but people are eating those up because of social media and i've got i mean i bought one because i want to see like what it's all about i think if you're in this they're cool as hell man it's an effective way to hunt there's no doubt about it 
And I think if you're if you're in this space and you're going to want to talk intelligently about anything, you kind of have to, you know, put your ass in all of it and say, you know, have at least a, an educated opinion on it and just say, well, yeah. I'd never buy one because it's three hundred dollars, or I'd never. I a hundred percent will. I will saddle hunt this year. Lone Wolf Custom Gear is a partner of ours, a working class, and I will saddle hunt. I we I did a podcast with Cody, and I'm like, no, I'm gonna saddle hunt because I want to. I want to know what it's like. I want to be able to have that conversation with guys. Um, it's benchmarking essentially. Like if you know what every type of hunting is, you know, you can actually have a conversation about it. If you've never, you've never really messed with one, you're minimal on what kind of type of conversation you can have. Um, but yes, yeah, saddles dude, it, that's a super effective way. It's a, it's a really light way to hunt, but you still got to have a way to get up the tree where you're not fucking around too much, you know? So it's, um, in my opinion, stick setups, like the one with custom gear sticks, that's the best type of setup to get up a tree quickly. It's if you want to be up there, it's four it's four sticks, four straps, and they all they all lock together. I think that's the simplest and cleanest and quietest way to get up a tree. You know, I mean they're definitely cool. Um, that and I think for me, like I've I've been going back and forth because it's like I you know I'm kind of at a point where it's like. It's going to be one or the other. Um, so I'd love to buy both, but just to, you know, drop a grand on, on both of them at one time. Um, yeah, it ends up being a lot. So the, but I think the stand, like the stand to me, just like the little features, like you can tell, like everything that they put into it is, I mean, why didn't they, you know, why didn't they think about that before? Um, you know, it's just one of those aha moments, I think, where once you see it, you're like, God damn, that's that's really something. Yeah, yeah, honestly, man, I did the same thing, dude. Like when they launched AT, I was like, dude, that's expensive, man. And then I went over and saw it. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I was like, everything I've ever cussed on while hanging a stand, they took care of it. Well, and for me, like the bow rope is the fucking bane of my existence. I hate every single <laughs> part about it. It's the most frustrating part, and it doesn't matter if it's retractable, if it's fuck, it doesn't matter. I just that yeah. that portion of it, and the fact that they've got it just integrated in there, it's like motherfucker. Why didn't why, why hasn't hilarious. this been in everything? Like it's, it's so true because I did the same thing. I'm like, that's the move right there. Like that <laughs> that just saved a lot of guys' lives because I, dude, I'm not. <laughs> that's my one number one thing. Like cheap stands. Me and my dad, like me and my dad, hang a lot of stands, man. Like not this past season. I got lucky and made the correct moves and got. I mean, half it's luck, half it's just doing some homework but the year before i struggled i hung a ton of stands and moved a ton i earned the nickname kurt hanging stands guyer <laughs> that year um and yeah dude the the, the pull-up rope i was wrapping them around like that shitty top v-bar that attaches to the tree and like it was all getting tangled that i'm cussing and burning my hands pulling stands and lowering stand yeah all that i feel you I, I mean, I, as soon as I saw that, I was like, okay, these guys know what they're doing. Like they've, they've, they've had the same internal conversation, like motherfucker, there has to be a better way. Like, <laughs> yeah, and, dude, that's so funny. You brought that up. <laughs> well, I mean, if you break it down, it's the DeQuistos, man. It's like, it's the OGs of hang on stands. They, they kind of, they, you know, whether or not you like their stands or not, and you prefer whatever brand. You have to show respect because they're the reason why most of these modern stands, hang-on stands, are here right now. Well, and that same thing is said for, like, 
you're saying about like there's always a lone wolf in your truck and it's like they haven't lost their value and the fact that they're still there if that was that same stand from menards like this would have broke or this would have rusted or this would have you know there's it just doesn't have the longevity and you know last year we ran the xop setups and i think for the money like that is hard to beat I mean, you can't. Yeah, you're never well, going to the same guys, you know. Right, the same right. Engineering brain. Right, and that's that's exactly what I was getting at. Is that you know for the for that right there, you know for the you can buy a, a shitty steel stand from wherever fucking Dicks Fields, you know Field and Stream Walmart for a hundred bucks, and for a hundred and fifty bucks you can have a Vanish that you'll never break or outgrow or. You know, it's it's always going to be one of those tried and true things that you can just, you know, that it's going to work, and yeah. that's probably expensive to some people too. But you just buy it once, you know. Yeah, well, it just depends, man. Like going back to what you're saying, how some people don't even think about shooting big bucks. They're there, they just go to the stand, and really, hunting's not really about getting on big deer. It's more about the camaraderie and like the Americana tradition of just doing it you know kind of like the uh escabana and the and in the moonlight like that movie like <laughs> they're more there for like the camaraderie the guy wants his first buck but it's more about like getting together bringing food to camp having some beers like that's that's awesome but there's some people that strive to kill the big bucks and and do all that thing so it just depends on what you want out of it and and i when i started hunting it was about the camaraderie of deer camp and all that and I was fortunate enough to have some some major big butt killers in camp that kind of took bow hunting to the next level, and they influenced me when I was a youngster, and it kind of like took me to that next level to want to be that big butt killer, you know, or, or you know, I'm still striving to be that big butt killer, and it's I've just had a ton, a ton of fun doing it, but it depends on how you grow up and who you grew up around and what type of hunting you want to do. If if you don't want to strive and hang and hunt and kill like put that crazy grind in to kill big bucks and you just want to be that dude that goes out and hunts and has fun and goes back and drinks 12 beers and then sleeps and gets up and goes and hunts the easy stand like that's fine too it just depends on what you really want to do with it i'm looking up steve right now as i said that <laughs> well and and that's one of the things that I, I wanted to talk to you about is that you know that the steve portion of of the working class bow hunter i mean steve's buck this year was like you want me to turn his mic on? Because he's just been kicking it right here, just relaxing. Yeah, sure. I mean. Here, pull your mic up, Steve, and I'll turn your mic on. That way it's not. You're live. There I am. Oh, great. Howdy. Keep your, uh, you know, comedic value to yourself. We're having an adult <laughs> I'll conversation see what I can do. over here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just saying, like, your buck this year was was great. I mean, the for all intents and purposes, you know, not the the 150 buck that you know I'm used to seeing on the working class bow hunter feed. You know, I mean, you guys are posting, you know, your buddy shooting 200s and stuff like that. But the the smile, the fact that it was your first buck, the the kind of like the way that the whole thing went down, um, you know that that kind of lends to that new hunter recruitment that uh, that whole thing. So I guess how how does it feel to get that monkey off your back? For... <laughs> well, yeah, all right. So, you know, what you did say was true. Uh, there is 150 inch deer behind every tree. Well, I shot the some bitch in a field, right? So, 
he was just <laughs> he was just out there. Um, I'll tell you what. Um, if you go back and listen to our podcast at that time, I was working a lot of second. Uh, I worked second shift, so I worked 4 p.m. to 2 a.m. an hour away from home. So I didn't really get to hunt afternoons that early, um, early October. But every Friday, I knew I would get off Friday at 2 a.m., head to the stand, uh, and just hunt. And I put a lot of effort in. And I remember this deer coming out in the field, and it had antlers. And the the previous three weeks, three weeks prior, I shot a deer, wounded it. Uh, didn't wound it that bad because Kurt came out, and we, we looked for this buck. And it wasn't a very big buck, but I knew I wanted to put antler on the ground. Didn't find it. Ended up killing a, a deer the next week. And then this week, uh, it was a feeling that I don't think... I'll ever recreate. Maybe if I shoot uh, a world record, I might. But the fact that I saw this deer, I saw antlers, and my heart was absolutely thumping. I didn't even, I, I never gave it a, a second thought. I saw him. I knew I was going to shoot him, and I drilled him. One of the coolest moments was going and getting that deer. And Kurt being right there, we're on the blood trail. It was, it was exhilarating, man. I'm, I'll tell you what, it was great, and it made me want to strive for, for more. I and I, I still can't tell you to this day if I see another deer like that, if he comes out in front of me, if I won't shoot him. But it definitely made me uh, want more than I than I thought I wanted. I, I don't know. I'm sure that makes sense to everybody listening, but any new hunters. When you walk up on that deer that has antlers that you just put on the ground, it that you're proud of, that you're proud of. I was so proud of that deer. I will be proud of that deer. Um, I'm I'm about to call my taxidermist to find out because I got him. I got him shoulder mounted. I want to hang that deer in my living room with pride because I put some effort in, and this is what I got. And if if anybody's gonna be like, "Whoa, shut him on private land," oh, he's only ninety inches. Like, dude, I don't. Leading up to it, well, that's Exhibit A, man. Yeah, that's a exhibit. perfect example of what we talked about. Earlier. Exactly, right. it, it it leads into it, man. I this is the first ground that I ever hunted, and I've I, I've now hunted a couple other, um, maybe two other private pieces, but this was the you first. You hunted ground. a lot of private or public ground too in Iowa. So. I did, I did, yeah. When I lived in Iowa, I uh, hunted some public ground, but this was this land was was like i don't know sacred to me you know i've had some a little bit of deer camp experience it's just it's it 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 was uh something to me that man i'll i'll never forget i'll never forget the few moments leading up to the when that deer came in and the few moments of recovering that deer um everything else in between that was kind of a blur (laughs) yeah kind of wondering (laughs) Is he is he really down? You know, Kurt showing up. Well, there was another memorable moment when Kurt showed up, but it's uh, it's that moment that'll hold. And yeah, I that deer will be a proud piece in any living room that I ever ever live in. It's it was special to me, man. That's that's uh, the way it should be too. I mean, that was yeah. your first buck, you know, and I mean, you got it mounted. That's awesome. And for anyone that you know, wants to put that shit down and they can just go, you know, 
take a flying leap, and that's it's bullshit when when people act like that. Well, yeah, true, and that's like kind of. So we have three main hosts on working classes: myself, Steve, and Eric, and we all have our different like unique qualities, but. Like that's we give Steve a ton of shit because he he usually brings it on himself. Yeah, I'm a piece <laughs> of shit. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it is but, what it is. But he also plays that role of like the, and I think maybe we gave him too hard a time because we didn't like. It took us a minute. Like, oh yeah, Steve's just the hunting camp dude. Like that's <laughs> yeah. his like niche. He just likes to spend time in hunting camp with the boys. Like hunting is on his radar. Of course, he wants to kill a big deer. Of course, but it's less of a priority as it is just having fun in hunting camp. So it's easy to give Steve shit, but that's part of the fun of hunting camp is giving mm-hmm. your buddy shit. Right. So we kind of play those ni- the the niche of each person pretty good. But Steve killing that bug, it was a, it was a pretty cool experience, man. I'm glad you were there, Kurt. It, uh, we've talked about it numerous times. I'll talk about it on every podcast that pops up within the next two years. <laughs> so Steve, gladly, you you live in like a weird space, right? Because I mean, like kind of what I was saying where. It seems like, well, everybody's killing, you know, 150 if you're in Iowa, Illinois, you know, but then that's got to be hard enough starting out as a new hunter there. And then you decide to get into a fucking, you know, bow hunting podcast and you're bringing in all the people from TV and all this other shit and you're seeing all these big deer. So what do you have? Uh, what would you say to the, the new hunter, you know, cause I know for a fact that we've got a lot of listeners that are just making that transition from private land to, to public land or trying to kill their first deer with a bow or kill their, um, you know, first buck with a bow. We kind of have always said here and my, my father-in-law, he's like, you know, you got to get a few under your belt, but, but what do you say to those guys that are, you know, if you're on Instagram or whatever, everybody kills a, a 150. I mean, I shot a, 60 inch buck or I don't know, a little small six point on my, my family's property. And I was like slow playing, putting it out. And I happened to kill a hundred inch buck on public land it, while I was slow playing, putting that buck on social media. And my wife's like, are you embarrassed of that buck? I'm like, no, I'm trying to fucking create content here. And I just, I fucked up by shooting this other deer. It's like, I, I couldn't do that. But how, how, how do you, um, you know, what do you say to those, the, the newer hunters or the guys that are still trying to, 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 to close that gap because like I said you're surrounded by these giant deer like on a daily or weekly basis oh yeah um you know uh you gotta ask those those hunters you know tell them to ask themselves hey how much joy do you get in seeing what other people kill and then how much joy do you get in seeing what you kill um if you get greater joy and seeing what they kill, and you can be okay with that, then great. If you get the amount of joy that, so that deer that I harvested, man, I, I got more joy than that, than um, most of my buddies killing big deer. Because it was something that I accomplished, I did that, I planted that food plot, I sat in that blind, and I put some hours in to where I killed that deer. Um, if if you want to worry about inches, you know, pass on pass on deer. But if you want to feel accomplished or you want to be proud of something that you did, then do it, man. I I am I will not be embarrassed. To that show might that be deer the up. greatest snippet of sound clip of any podcast Steve has ever laid out. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, huh? that was good. Good. It's true though. Like that's the truth right there. It, it was it was such a fun story and it was such a fun hunt, a fun recovery, 
and that deer is awfully delicious and I cannot wait till he's in my living room and I'm, I'm sitting there watching probably trailer park boys on Netflix and looking up at that deer and just like, man, life is good <laughs> because I, dude, I, all right. At the kickback at your new place, at the kickback at the new place. It's just, uh, man, don't be embarrassed about your accomplishments. If I can tell any, any new hunter that don't be, embarrassed about shit because you see these guys killing the shit on social media hey, well, can i give a perfect example yeah when when our podcast is being filmed our video podcast series my first buck ever sits right next to me in the studio and i could pull one of my bigger bucks and put him right here for everyone to see on film but i don't i have him in the living room my first buck ever is on film for every video podcast we do and honestly not one person has said shit about it no because it's not a big deer um, still bigger than mine that shot. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I put it in video. <laughs> but like Steve's point, be proud of what you do and just do what makes you happy. And I think that that's what we try to, you know, exude is like, we're nothing special. We go out there and we're just trying to inspire people to just say like, Hey, it's, it's fine. Shoot whatever you want. This is what we shot. This is what he shot. This is, you know, but we're out there doing it, having fun and learning as we go. And it, it allows us, you know, to pick the brains of people like yourself or, you know, anybody that we have on the podcast to try and inspire those other people, you know, for, for Steve to say, I mean, I posted that picture today of Kurt with 190 inch set of shed antlers, you know, it'd be real easy for Steve to look at the buck that he shot and say, well, you know, these guys are killing that, but it's like, fuck that. Every bow, every animal that you harvest with a bow is a trophy, and that's why we do it. And so you could yeah. nitpick everything. The stick bow guys could say, well, fuck, you didn't kill that. You, that's not a real bow. This is a bow. And then I use stone broadheads and fucking I use, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's a bunch of bullshit. The whole hunter infighting thing is like, we need to be more accepting than. You know, that I think right. social media allows us to be, you know, there's a bunch, yeah. of, a bunch of bullies out there. It is, man. But we're all the same team. You know, I, I've, I've talked about different and people take I've done a lot of podcasts. So guess what I'm getting to done a lot of podcasts. And I like I say things that might be seen as controversial or might be seen as one thing. A lot of times I'm just trying to poke fun at people who get offended at nothing. And I think that's hilarious. But really, it's like just certain things need to be talked about. And if you're offended by them, maybe we all just need to take a step back and kind of look at it. Um, I don't know. It's all good. If you hunt public land, you kill a big buck. I do think there's a notch notch cooler mm-hmm. that you have than killing a buck on private. Like, I get that whole thing. But at the same time, don't knock me for my hustle on killing big deer on private because it's a different type of skill and it's a little bit different type of hustle because I would challenge those same people to come to my private and do the same thing. And I think they would find very quickly that it's not a, a walk on and you go in and you shoot it the first night. It's not that way. Um, and I, I mean, I think you could watch any, it's weird that we have to talk about it like this. I think you can watch any hunting video. I mean, Lee Lukoski, you know, that's the farm everyone thinks about when they think Iowa, you know, he has videos of him. Um, when they do like a montage of every interview he did of every morning for all the days he hunted, it's day one, day two, day three, day four, day 30, day 31, mm-hmm. 30, you know, and he's grinding out to kill the deer he wants to kill. Um, 
and you know he's on a different spectrum from anybody else you know he's looking for that the giant super giants but he's passing 130 140 150 160 inch deer because he is put the work in to let those deer be there um i don't have that i don't have the balls to let 150 inch deer <laughs> walk by me i'm killing that motherfucker so <laughs> it's a different um it's all different it's all perspective it's all your how you lay things out for yourself so i don't think anybody has grounds to hate on anybody else for sure and that you know that's kind of why i wanted to have you on here because i don't get that perspective and i don't think that we have enough of that you know on our podcast we talk to public land guys and we talk about our exploits on public land or small tract private you know here in michigan or maybe the surrounding areas like a little bit so like i say i i just wanted to kind of get that perspective i heard you talk about it a little bit uh after like nineteen thousand beers on the east coast yeah not good not good (laughs) (laughs) so and uh steve i did not hear you on that podcast there was something you had some sand somewhere or something that you couldn't couldn't make that podcast Oh, no, I got that flu that kept me out for two days. And then I believe that Kurt got it like a couple days later. Yeah, that was a no, I got the next day. You got it. I woke up. I thought I was just hungover. I woke up and I was like, oh, I'm dying. And no, I had the flu. I'm not kidding. I woke up the next day from that podcast you guys are talking about, like just dead. I had, I, I, man, that was a, I've never been that sick before in my life. And that flu took a lot of people out. It was not a good one. <laughs> it's a brutal year, boys. It's a brutal year. Man. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's kind of why I wanted to have you on here and kind of just get the perspective from, you know, someone who is in this space, talks to a lot of different people, whether it's public land or private land. And, you know, you guys hunt, you know, the, the Mecca from, you know, everybody in Michigan, like, oh, if I was in Iowa, it'd be just this easy. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to get kind of that Come perspective. Come to Iowa and hunt, then. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. You know, you got to buy you points know. and all that stuff. It's that, you know, Michigans are lazy hunters. That's why it is the kind well, of like, it's just like any Anyone that does that type of thing, I'm like, I'm not just picking on people from Michigan that do that. If you're from, I name the state, Pennsylvania, if you're from Wyoming, I don't know, wherever. If you're that dude bitching and that's what you want to do, like Illinois is over the counter. You can come hunt here. You know, I always got to build a couple points, but I think Illinois is over the counter. Wisconsin's over the counter. Missouri's over the counter. Kentucky, Ohio. Yeah. I was um, over the counter. You know, you right. can, you can get after it. You know, to it's, add- it's, it's how bad do you want it? If you want to be that dude who hunts like a lazy ass and then bitch about other people shooting one fifties because they're around every other tree. Bro, that's your own fault. That's that. Th- this is not exclusive to the hunting world. In the stand-up comedy world, it is the same way. I've done stand-up with a bunch of guys that are like, "Man, if I was just in Chicago, dude, I, I'd be killing. I'd be over. I'd be making money." It's like we we'll go to Chicago. It's two and a half hours away. Oh, if, if we were out in L.A., I'd be doing mics every night. I'd be getting paid. We'll go out to L.A. You know, there's yeah. that. What, what's going to set you apart, and what I've learned over the years is you don't have to have a certain drive about you. You have to want something. I have went through a lot of shit, and I've changed my life around. And recently, in the past four months, I, I put like four months of work work in. I've lost like forty pounds. I am I got money in the bank because I wanted it more 
than I desire. Like you're gonna I, kill I, 180 this year. Yeah, <laughs> and I've wanted something, and I went out and I worked hard and I got it within four months. I'm like, okay, if I did that in four months, I made some changes and I just chased something. You can get it. So if you're on public land, private land, man, if you want it enough, it's out there. And that I, I'm not telling you that from experience. I'm telling you that because I know that for a fact. Because I've wanted a couple things. Would be experience. And now I've changed. Well, you know what I mean. But I'm not experienced <laughs> in the woods. I'm just saying because I've done a couple things to get what so I want. At the, this year he wants a Pope and Young. He's gonna get after it. I, dude, I just want. And I, I've said this on a couple podcasts. I, I want to target a specific buck and go after it and kill it. And you know what? That's exactly what I'm going to do. You're saying like year and a half year old. Oh, yeah. dude, if I, dude, if I get a fork buck with a limp, it's over for him. You know what I mean? You dude, need to talk to my over. father-in-law. I'm patterning that some bitch since September. I'm like, yo, dude, he's limping out into the bean field every night at six. He's done. But I'm saying, man, it's, it's all about how much do you want it? And I want some stuff so i'm gonna go after and get it <laughs> well i would say go to ohio because and this is just for any of your listeners that we might pick up from uh you know that want to hear you guys talk but i tripped into a 150 in ohio and uh that was before nice. i was really really hunting or knowing what i was doing um so just so you know it can be done steve it's they it are can be done, every, man. They are around every corner in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> every corner. <laughs> so, yeah, like I said, I really enjoyed talking with you guys tonight. I don't want to keep you too much longer. I really appreciate the time and the in the banter, and you know, Steve's actually contributing to the conversation. I did appreciate that as well. <laughs> Weird. But, uh, so, um, you know, again, if it, if anybody hasn't figured out where you guys are, who you guys are, where can they find you? And maybe even Steve, you can plug your bullshit comedy stuff too, if you want. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yes. I love that. Um, working class bowhunter.com, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter's dead. Um, carbon TV, you know, the usual find us there. The book, (laughs) MySpace, Zanga, um, <laughs> Zanga, Tinder, Bumble. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm on Timble and, uh, Tinder and Bumble. Uh, apparently, Kurt made a Grinder account for me. So, hey guys, uh, most most Michigan hunters are on Grinder. I'll just throw it out there. <laughs> I'm kidding, kidding. Thanks yeah. for having us, guys. Yep. <laughs> all right. Kind of all we got for this evening. So, uh, you know, thanks for being here. You guys didn't feed into any of those jokes. No, they did not. <laughs> God, I'm worried now. <laughs>